This podcast is sponsored by GoGo, the leader in in-flight connectivity and wireless entertainment. Our superior technologies, best-in-class service, and global reach help planes fly smarter. Our partners perform better, and their passengers travel happier. Learn more at gogoair.com forward slash airline. Frontier Airlines earned a 24% operating margin in last year's third quarter. That was good enough for fourth place among U.S. airlines, which is saying a lot in 2015. By that measure, they beat the likes of Delta, Southwest, American, and many more. Yeah, it must be the animals on the tail, right? I don't want to talk about the animals. I want to talk about something else we saw in Frontier's results, something a little less cuddly, and that is the idea of fare compression. It sounds rather ominous, and some analysts have labeled it a headwind. Will this be a big story in 2016? I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President here at Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner at Airline Weekly. We're going to dissect fare compression. We're going to talk about Ben Baldanza's abrupt departure from Spirit. We'll touch on SAS and Porter Airlines, and we'll talk about the new Delta book. For the first time in 2016, you're about to enter the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. So, fare compression. It sounds scary, the idea that as ticket prices fall, low-cost carriers like Frontier and Spirit will have no way of differentiating themselves. If a legacy carrier is offering $40 flights and a low-cost carrier is offering $35 flights, a lot of people are going to pay the $5 difference to get the frills, perceived or real. In fact, in Airline Weekly this week, we called it a gathering storm. How much of this are we seeing already and how much of it do we expect to see in 2016? Yeah, a lot of it, uh, and 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 quite simply, it's it's just the fact that yeah, prevailing fares are much lower than they were, uh, and, and this is the the part of the low fuel price environment that candidly, uh, you know, a lot of us didn't foresee. Uh, you know, and, and we've talked about this in past episodes that you know on the cost side of the ledger, and by cost I mean not fares, I mean airline production costs, uh, unit costs, uh, cheap fuel is, is disproportionately helpful to low-cost carriers and especially to ultra-low-cost carriers. And that's because when fuel makes up a smaller percentage of the overall cost base, as it now does, uh, you know, the, the, the other costs, the non-fuel costs, which are the ones where lower-cost carriers uh, have their advantages because, you know, everybody's buying fuel, uh, you know, nobody has any particular advantage there. So those non-fuel costs matter more. And when you turn your plane around more quickly you know, and when you have more productive employees and all those sorts of things, uh, it, it, it matters more on the cost side when fuel is cheap. But on the revenue side, yeah, you've got this issue where, uh, yeah, you know, it, it is harder to differentiate yourself on price. And when what you are selling is price, uh, and, and that's something uh, uh, you know, Spirit CEO Ben Baldanza, former CEO now, had said in the past that you know what's different about Spirit is that the product is the price. Uh, you know, Spirit isn't offering some kind of uh, you know magical experience. Uh, you know, it, it's offering safe, cheap air travel. Uh, ditto uh, for Allegiant. Uh, ditto to only a slightly lesser degree for, for Frontier Airlines. And yeah, legacy airlines are out there right now with very, very low fares uh, that they simply weren't offering a year ago. And uh, no, no question. I mean, uh, Jason, I'm, you know, uh, I'm an airline analyst, but I'm a consumer too, just like everybody else. You know, I buy airline tickets. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I flew JetBlue recently for $39. Um, you know, 
what fare can spirit offer me at what point below that that's going to sort of tempt me onto spirit if you know if there are things about flying spirit that uh you know that that, that i might not love so so it's it, it's an issue for them although having said all that uh, those airlines uh, frontier allegiant and certainly spirit are still among the most profitable airlines on the planet you brought this up with Ben when you interviewed him in episode 16 of The Lounge. He said it will affect them a little, but not that much. He also said Spirit is built to make money at low prices and that, unlike its competitors, Spirit can sell low fares on the entire plane. Do you find those arguments to be compelling? Well, it's certainly true that 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 they don't need uh, that group of people who are uh, you know paying outsized high fares uh, to profit, you know, most legacy airlines, you know, there's some number of seats on most flights that are purchased by people who really have to be somewhere very soon and, and are willing to pay a whole lot of money for them. Uh, and spirit uh, doesn't depend as, as much on those people. Although, you know, believe me, their fares too can, you know, uh, when demand is very high, it's last minute, you know, they'll, they'll happily take the high fare as much as any other airline, but it's true. They don't depend on that as much. Uh, no question about that. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're seeing them have to adapt. Uh, you know, they're, they're running a sale today, uh, for 99% off, uh, you know, essentially free fare now to be sure, of course, it, it doesn't end up being free when, you know, when you buy some of the extras and so forth. And, and those are on just some of the lowest demand days, you know, two Tuesdays, Wednesdays, just through the beginning of February. I mean, you know, these are seats that that uh, even in higher fare times <laughs> would have would have been hard to sell for a whole lot of money. But um, but yeah, you're 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 having to uh, uh, see them adjust to that. Uh, you know, th these airlines are are you know have expressed interest and have sort of dabbled in revenue managing their ancillaries. Uh, you know, uh, charging different amounts at different times. So that may be something they have to do more of. Uh, you know, if they if they get to a point where uh, you know, consumers in the past have sometimes said, oh, you know what, by the time you get done paying all the fees, uh, you, know, you might as well have just flown another airline. And generally, that hasn't really been true. Uh, you know, generally, uh, Spirit's total fare, even including all the extras, has been lower uh, than the fare on a more bundled airline. Um, you know, that's now getting trickier. And so so that's the kind of thing, too, they might have to uh, to just uh, revenue manage the ancillaries more more dynamically as they further developed it, the the capability to do that. But um, you know, uh, again, you know, that model as we've discussed before. If you had to pick one model, uh, that that's still the one to start with. Not the only way to make money in the airline industry, uh, but but it's it's been rather successful. And you know, I I think these airlines will 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 figure it out. Can you characterize the the degree of the impact you, we can expect from this? Yeah, um, it's uh, you know, well, look, I mean, you're you're probably going to see some some uh, along with fare compression, some profitability compression, some some uh, some convergence, uh, you, you know, as as the environment changes. Um, but more driven by other airlines doing better rather than the ultra low cost carriers doing worse. Uh, and, and, and if you look at, you know, at a ranking of, I mean, you mentioned that the frontier operating margin before the 24% operating margin for the third quarter. Um, if, if you look at a, a ranking of, of airlines by operating margin, let's say, especially in, in the U S where, where things are very good right now, uh, let's say this year versus last year, really what's changed 
changed is that a lot of the other airlines have continued to come up more so than, uh, you know, Spirit falling. I mean, Allegiance is doing as well as it's ever done. Uh, so, so, so that's really, um, uh, you know, what's happened more than anything is now uh, you know, even some of the airlines that that in past years had struggled. I mean, even including you know, there was a period there where, where, where Southwest was was somewhat of a laggard, you know, and they're doing now phenomenally uh, well also. And, and, and that's really been the uh, the bigger change rather than uh, uh, the ultra low cost carriers suddenly, uh, you know, really slipping. Is this the first time the ultra low cost model has faced a, a good economy and low oil prices and very healthy competition? And if it's not the first time, what does history tell us will happen if it tells us anything? Yeah, well, certainly the first time uh, that, that all of those things have, have coincided when these airlines have, have been a meaningful size. Um, uh, you know, so, uh, well, you said you said cheap fuel and, and, and good economy. I mean, gosh, you, you, you basically have to go back uh, to... The, the late 1990s uh, it was the last time that, that that you had that for any sustained period of time because uh, of course the last time we had cheap fuel was was uh, was you know during during the uh, global financial crisis um, and and the economy was terrible and uh, you know prior to that you had a decent economy but expensive fuel so yeah you're you're, you're talking late 1990s um, and at, at, at that point you know these airlines either didn't exist or, or looked nothing uh, like they do today. Uh, so, so the, so the short answer is that there really is no history. Um, and again, sort of going into this when we were asking ourselves, you know, okay, let's say fuel actually does stay cheap for a while, you know, as it now has done, um, you know, what can we expect? And I mentioned before the, the, um, the cost impacts were, were, were pretty predictable. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, and you see, you know, spirit with just these, massive unit cost uh, differentials uh, versus its competitors and, you know, some of the other low cost carriers as well uh, with that, you know, even as, of course, the unit costs at those other airlines come down too. Um, but yeah, the, the, the fair compression is something that, uh, you know, we just hadn't had an environment uh, uh, quite like this. Um, it, it's, it's, it's logical enough. Um, but, uh, but, but, but it, it maybe all happened more quickly than people expected, um, because prevailing fares probably just fell uh, faster than we expect. Don't forget, Jason, I think it's what, seven months ago, the DOJ was going after airlines for alleged collusion, uh, because, you know, how, how could fuel be falling in, in price and, and airfares, you know, still, still staying high. Uh, and the answer then, as we said as well, there's always some lag time, you know, because the people who, the people who are flying. Uh, you know, right after fuel gets cheap or flying an airline tickets that they bought before fuel got cheap. And, uh, you know, the capacity is in the marketplace was planned before fuel got cheap. And so, you know, we sort of said then, uh, and I remember answering questions like that from the mainstream media. I said, you know, just wait. I mean, airfare, you know, looking forward, uh, there's a lot more capacity coming in. Airfares are going to fall. Uh, so, so that was clear. But I, I can't say that I would have predicted that they would fall as quickly as they did. Uh, and then the, the corollary to that is, is that, yeah, the, the, the impact on the ultra low cost carriers in terms of being able to differentiate a price, um, you know, which, which for them is, 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 you know, the most important thing, uh, uh, that, that, that has come on rather quickly. Haven't heard much from the DOJ lately. Mm. Uh, is this a purely U S story? Um, it's, I'm talking about 2016, uh, will Mexico's Valaris and Ryanair and Wizz Air and Whaling, will they 
see the same dynamic? Uh, I mean, the short answer is yeah. Um, but uh, it's, you know, the U.S. industry is, is at this point, um, because it's so consolidated, so let's say, you know, compared to Europe first, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's just kind of a... Um, a, a different story there. The the capacity situation hasn't changed as rapidly overall. You know, in, in the U.S., you had airlines being very, very, you know, what they would call disciplined. You know, just 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 not growing for a long time, and uh, and now as an industry growing a lot more rapidly. Uh, you, you know, obviously some more than others. Um, and uh, and and also the you know the economy being rather healthy, and also the cheap fuel. Uh, having a, a bigger impact because, you know, when you trade in dollars, you get the full benefit of the cheap fuel. Whereas, uh, you know, places with, uh, you know, talk to an airline in Brazil, they're going to say, what are you, cheap fuel are you talking about? You know, because if you're, uh, if you're buying that fuel in, in, in deeply depreciated reais, uh, you know, you're, you're just not getting uh, as much of a discount and, and ditto to, to a lesser degree uh, for, for airlines in, in Europe. But, um, but yeah, no question. You know, you, you look at Mexico, uh, um, which you mentioned Volaris, uh, and that's a place where, uh, as more, there is more of a capacity story. Zero lines have, 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 have grown a lot. Uh, and, um, and so sure, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, when you've got your legacy competitor, there it would be Aeromexico, uh, charging fares that are not very high. Uh, absolutely. S same thing for, for Volaris or for Viva Airbus. The, the other ultra LCC, uh, harder to lure people aboard those airlines than it is at a moment in time when the when the legacy airfares are, are much higher. All right, moving on, but staying in the low-cost carrier realm. You mentioned Ben Baldanza before. He's out at Spirit and is being replaced by Bob Fernaro of AirTran fame. What do you know and what do you make of this? Yeah, um, yeah certainly the the timing, I think, caught a, caught a lot of people off guard. Um, you know, Spirit, uh, you know, first of all, uh, it, its shares have been under pressure. Uh, it basically, it, it set a very, very high bar for itself. And, uh, you know, I mentioned before, other airlines have have, uh, have kind of caught up. And, and, um, and, you know, there's some some investors that uh, seem skittish about uh, uh, the fact that, you know, even though it has managed to continue expanding its margins because, because of falling fuel prices, uh, you know, basically it's growing very rapidly. Uh, so its unit costs are declining, yes. That's a good thing. It's unit revenues are declining too, and and uh, uh, you know they're they're just kind of waiting to to uh, see if in fact the unit revenue declines can can slow down um, so so that the 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 margins don't come under pressure. Uh, you know, in terms of, uh, of of what happened and whose decision it was and all of that, that's um, that's that's still not clear. Uh, you know, Spirit, as we mentioned before, remains uh, by almost any other standard. An extraordinarily successful airline, um, you know. Uh, sometimes it's as simple as this. You know, sometimes uh, there's there's one person who's the right person to take an airline to a certain point, and then it can be another person who's the right person to to take it beyond that. Uh, you know, Bob Fernaro is stepping in uh, at Spirit um, at a point when Spirit is you know, very roughly the size that Airtran was when he stepped in there replacing Joe Leonard. Uh, and, and of course he continued growing Airtran into, into a, uh, a very profitable and, and much larger airline that, that Southwest ended up buying. Uh, and, and there's speculation out there that, that, um, you know, this could have to do with, uh, who knows, um, some potential future transaction, uh, that, you know, if, uh, Spirit and, and Frontier were to pursue a merger, for example, uh, 
that Bob Fernaro is the kind of person who, you know, because he, he's been through the transaction at, at, at uh, at Airtran uh, might might be the right person for for something like that and and you know whether or not that happens um again just all all pure speculation at this time but Frontier is going to at some point have some kind of a transaction um, because it's owned by private equity it's owned by uh, Indigo Partners uh, and you know this is what they do they turn around airlines and eventually typically they 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 would take the shares public uh, but look they're they're gonna consider all their options uh and and one of those options would have to be uh, uh you know merging um spirit would be the most obvious candidate uh and uh you know and if spirit were interested then um well then then that's where you'd want somebody perhaps with with that kind of experience um but uh you know having said all that look uh, ben uh, uh has long time ties to uh to washington dc uh has uh kind of shuttled back and forth between uh, between fort lauderdale and there uh he, he of course uh, was, was a u.s airways exec when when it was based uh, just outside washington and so uh, you know, it may be just as simple as uh, he was going to leave sooner or later, and uh, the 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 timing made sense, uh, uh, sort of for for all those reasons. I'm sure it will be discussed in next week's Airline Weekly. Getting out of America, let's move to Northern Europe. SAS, once known as Scandinavian Airline Systems, uh, got a write up in uh, this week's issue. We asked the rather existentialist question. Who would you rather be, SAS with its scale and clout across Scandinavia or Finnair with its strong routes to Asia? We didn't actually answer the question. We just reported that SAS is technically doing better with a 13% margin in Q3 versus Finnair's 10%. We didn't answer the question in Airline Weekly, but in the lounge we will. So, Seth, who would you rather be and why? Yeah, and and just to, to further clarify that, you know, the the difference is is even greater because that that 13% margin uh, for SAS is during they have, they have this unusual reporting calendar where that quarter for them rather than being July August September like everybody else where you know it includes the, those two good months of July and August and then weaker September uh, they it, it's August September October so so just the good August and then September and October both weaker months uh, so so Finnair has sort of the two good months in their SAS uh, just the one so uh, SAS is doing considerably better right now uh you know and it's basically i mean look for for years we always said um you know finnair is a one-trick pony uh and, and we usually said it at moments in time where that one trick and that's asia uh it was going very well for them uh you know, sort of said hey if, if things ever get tougher in asia uh you know it, it could be more difficult for them well guess what things are tougher in asia um and and that's where they are right now uh you know they do have that really neat strategic position strategic geographical position where um you know helsinki is basically the only european capital where you can operate uh a a, a route to asia uh with just two aircraft for, for daily service uh, in other words one aircraft can make it to asia and back in 24 hours so if you start the other one on the other end doing the same thing two aircraft rather than needing uh you know two and a half or, th- or, or, or three aircraft craft to do it um so so yeah uh, you know they were brilliant uh, taking advantage of that um and really creating a niche for themselves and, and now you know yeah here, here they are um and uh 
But um, but yeah, it, it, it is a uh, well, I, I guess I'd answer it this way. You know, the reason we just sort of asked it uh, rhetorically and, and, and didn't fully answer it uh, is, is because um, it, it's it's tough to say, uh, it, you know, you, you definitely would want SAS's scale. Uh, they're a much larger airline, uh, you know, depending on how you measure it. Um, the ASKs actually aren't that different because Finnair is such a long haul airline, whereas SAS is is. Uh, is a much shorter haul airline, but by seats, flights, uh, you know, just just the breadth of the network. Uh, you know, SAS is a uh, is is a much more comprehensive airline, um, and one that uh, yeah, because it has a broader exposure. Um, so so it's 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 not only scale but also scope. Um, you know that that sort of makes it less vulnerable uh, in 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 that regard. Uh, you know, because when when you depend so much on on one thing, uh, that, that's a strategic vulnerability. Um, but look, uh, SAS is very exposed for that matter, if you want to call it one thing, to the European short haul market. And, and that's always a tough place to be when you're, you know, competing, uh, not just for you know, connecting passengers to Asia, but competing uh, up against Ryanair and EasyJet in some markets. Um, and, and, and not only that, but uh, it has benefited in recent years from the fact that uh, capacity over the past year or two uh, in Scandinavia has actually been rather flat, uh, and and now it's it's growing again quite rapidly, and that's going to put downward pressure on yields. Uh, so so uh, the, the, they're both airlines with with their uh, share of of, uh, of vulnerabilities. But I guess if you say who would you rather be, you'd rather start being the uh, the, uh, the 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 bigger airline um, that with with the broader exposure. I have a Canadian question for you. Porter, the turboprop, out, turboprop operator <laughs> out of Toronto, is now flying to Melbourne, Florida. Uh, according to DOME data, that is the world's longest turboprop route. <laughs> Do you think it's too long? Yeah, you know, I actually looked that up. It's funny when I when we were writing the item about uh, flying from from Toronto, uh, you know, from from the island airport there where, where Porter operates to Melbourne. I said. So wait, I so said that is a really long uh, uh, turboprop flight. Uh, so I looked it up, and yeah, it's over a thousand miles, and and, and it, it, it is the longest one in the world. Um, and uh, no, you know, it, it uh, you know, in the end, um, you know, do customers care? Uh, well, they you know, they might have a slight preference for not being on a turboprop, but you know, generally speaking, that that ranks pretty low uh, in terms of how mo- most customers choose routes. Um, so it, it, it's just going to be a question of, of of whether the demand is there. Um, you know, it it, it seems uh, kind of tricky, and 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 you know they probably chose that because for operational region reasons, even to fly to let's say Orlando, the main airport um, uh, for for Central Florida, uh, might have just been trickier because of you know longer taxi times and everything. So that just might have been the place where they could operationally do it. Um, but um, but yeah, you know if. It, when you have a cold winter, um, you know, which this winter, the early winter actually wasn't, but, you know, and, and, and uh, Canadians are looking to get out and uh, and get to a beach. Um, you know, this is a seasonal Saturday only uh, service, if I'm not mistaken. Um, sure, sure. Why not? Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously not a market with a lot of competition. So so uh, so they. They, they have it to themselves. We'll, we'll have to see how they do. Uh, and, and because it's only the, you know, one day a week and only seasonal, it's, it's a, it's a pretty low risk flight. It, they're, they're certainly not exactly betting the company on, on that route, but an interesting one for sure. Now it's time for the shameless plug portion of our show. <laughs> 
Uh, being released in five days is a new book about the airlines. The book, to a large degree, chronicles the past 15 years in the industry. The title is Glory Lost and Found, How Delta Climbed from Despair to Dominance in the Post-9-11 Era. It's available for a pre-order now, and it is written by Jay Shabbat and my lounge partner, Seth Kaplan. Seth, congratulations. I know it hasn't been easy. Not easy at all. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> I know you're tired, so I'll start <laughs> off with a softball question. Uh, what do you want people to know about this book? Yeah, well, it, it, it's it's uh, it's a book where we try to really take a fair-minded look at at, at what happened. I, I mean, look, it's a turnaround story. You know, obviously the 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 point is that you know Delta's doing very well right now, and and so you know we sort of say, okay, well, you know, why is that? How how has it managed to? Uh, um, you know, climb back from from the the depths uh, to where it is now. But um, you know, as you do that, uh, you 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 really start to um realize how much nuance there is. And uh, you know, for anybody who ever asked, you know, what was Delta thinking when they started Song? You know, for example, let's say the 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 uh, low cost unit unit within Delta. Um, you know, we sort of we said, well, what were they thinking? You know, and 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 you really sort of see the world as as uh, as as people saw it, and, and you understand the uh, you know the 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 various uh, challenges that uh, that they face. Um, but yeah, a lot a lot of detail, obviously, uh, about uh, Delta over the years. But also, um, it's very much uh, you know it's Delta as the protagonist of a broader tale uh, about the world. I mean, there are all kinds of cultural references uh, in the book, and, and certainly uh, about about other airlines as well. Do you, do you have an example? Yeah. Uh, you know, one of my favorite anecdotes, and we have a lot of them in the book, but, um, uh, you know, there's the, uh, uh, the, the, the part where Delta, uh, about a half decade ago was, was trying to get Japan airlines, JAL, uh, to leave American and one world and to join Delta and, and sky team and to, uh, to, to form a joint venture with, with Delta. Um, you know, that was one of Delta's, uh, many potential solutions to the 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 Asia dilemma that still very much dogs it today. You know, one one of the one of the, the things that Delta hasn't solved alongside you know, everything else that's that's uh, gone so well there. So anyway, there's this part where we take you inside the room of of, of what American is doing uh, to to try to uh, to try to keep JAL in in uh, in one world and and to get it into a joint venture with. Um, with American. And, uh, and so there's this, um, uh, there's this passage. I'll just, I'll just read it quickly for you. Um, at one meeting in a Tokyo hotel, Arpy, Gerard Arpy, the uh, former American CEO appeared with at Inamori's request. Inamori was the CEO of, of JAL, Willie Walsh, the CEO of British Airways, who would years later recall how the American CEO was articulate and quote, incredibly passionate in making the case that JAL should remain their partner. So passionate, in fact, that Arpy's words began racing out of his mouth so quickly that the translator in the room could no longer keep up. The Walsh jumped in. Dr. Inamori, he said, I don't know if you've understood anything Gerard has said, but I hope you felt the passion this guy has for the relationship. Inamori and the translator both broke into laughter and, 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 and it goes on. And, and so, so there's, um, there's, there's all kinds of stuff like that. It really just, uh, you know, you, you see the, the human face, um, uh, of the industry and just the things that were going on behind the scenes in many cases, uh, you know, before the, the announcement that, that we all read about it, I, I, uh, uh, I enjoy, it's been difficult, uh, uh, but, uh, but, you know, very much a, an enjoyable project on many levels and, and I hope people enjoy it too. 
I enjoyed it. As you know, I've read it and I thought it was terrific. The book, Glory Lost and Found, is available at your favorite online bookseller, uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com. Meanwhile, uh, this podcast is available on iTunes or the Airline Weekly website. We're out of time for today. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell, hoping to see you back here next week for another episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. What was your favorite Delta ad campaign ever? Oh, it's got to be. We, we, we love to fly and it shows. That's where the... Uh... And all those tear-jerking ads about, you know, the little girl going to see grandma and all that. Yeah. What about Delta? We'll get you there. Once they added with care, that one, uh, that one, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just getting you there wasn't, uh, wasn't enough. <laughs>